This is Beyond the Bite with Joe and Abe, a cybersecurity conversation. Each week, we get to know someone and discuss their journey, how they got here, and what they learned along the way. Through these conversations, we at Greylog hope to better understand what it means to be a good citizen within our community and continue our evolution as a provider of cybersecurity solutions. This conversation is sponsored by Greylog, an award-winning provider of SIM and log management solutions. I'm Randy, the producer of this podcast, and here are your hosts, Joe and Abe. Hey, listeners, I'm Abe, and I got a question for you, Joe, and I'll, even, I'll, I'll ask the yeah. question and then give you a story so you have time to answer it. How's that for fair? Okay, okay, that sounds <laughs> right. good. like the opposite of good interviewing. But anyway, the so the question is, what are some books and movies that have had a pretty big impact on your life? Mm. And to give you time to answer that, because we're professionals, the reason that question actually kind of means a lot to me is I think a lot of my career and who I am was shaped by the fact that really my first job was working in a discount bookstore. And so mm, it, yeah. it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, I, I remember a lot of these titles. I remember like long, long Christmases of people coming in. Hey, do you have mm. this book or blah, blah, blah. And then long Januaries of people trying to get a refund for gift certificates. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, like every time three minutes to closing. Do you have any kids books on dinosaurs? Lady, I have an entire section of kids books on dinosaurs. They're over there. Follow the dinosaurs. And, but anyways, so what are some of the ones that have had a big impact on you? I'll give you my answers now that you've had a chance to think about it. What's, which ones have yeah, you heard? I'm, I'm going to start with movies because uh, okay. that's the easiest one, um, which is is definitely the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by that. by far, okay, um, the original one. Yeah, yeah, yeah the the original the original trilogy. My parents had them on VHS. Mm-hmm. They had the 1992. Reissue, like remaster. I know exactly the version. box you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I could cite the interview with George Lucas that came before each episode, mm-hmm. like word for word. By the time I was like four and a half, uh, <laughs> and I watched them so much that that Empire Strikes Back actually like developed a whistle to it as you as you listen to it. So you'd sit there and you'd listen to it, and there'd be like just kind of like in the quiet parts, there'd just be like this little hum in the background. And I think that that like eternal struggle of the good against evil, the the scrappy band of of misfits that needs to take on the evil empire has impacted my life in almost every way from I mean from what my from what how how I approach work to how I <laughs> how I, <laughs> how I think about things and whatever. And and then when if I was forced to choose a book of some kind, when I turned 18, I read a book called called Illusions, The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. And it foundationally changed who I was, I think, at that time. It was very interesting, like a person that grew up in a in a very like group setting and things like that, and being very relying on this very large community and getting this getting this confidence boost that I was able to do my own stunts and be successful in that. So it, it sounds like a religious book from the title, but it is not, <laughs> but it is, it's a book that I revisit on a regular basis just to keep my head in check and in the direction that I want it to be going. What about, what about you, Abe? I'm 
I give you like six seconds and you come up with this incredibly thoughtful answer. <laughs> no, man. No. You know, I like Indiana Jones. Why? Because it's fun. <laughs> That's a good one. It's up there for it sure. It's up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tombstone was another one. I think it's just honestly because we had it on VHS. So I watched it like a zillion times. It was yeah. one of the like, you know, nine cassettes that we had. And <laughs> yeah, books. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, no, I'm not falling into this. I'm not playing this like philosophical game with you. <laughs> You can't beat me at my okay. You just beat me at my own game. But it uh, was. It, I mean, you asked me the question. It was the only thing that I that came to mind. To be fair, it was that right. or that or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I felt like I couldn't give anything <laughs> thought provoking about that book other than that it's just hilarious. Well, that's an eas- like, easily my favorite mm, book. But. Yeah, almost always in my top five is the book Snow Crash. It rotates a lot because yeah. I change things all the yeah, time. Yeah. And it's just because of how absurd it is. I I love that book. Just like the the world that was yeah. built around it is amazing. And um, yeah, that's I'm that, that's I'm living. I'm ending on that. That's it. Snow crash. That's thank you. That was awesome. Back to you, Randy. All right, today's guest. We are honored and and very excited to bring to the show Andy Grolnick. He's a CEO, board member, and mentor with over thirty five years of experience building, scaling, and leading technology businesses. He currently serves as CEO of Greylog our collective employer and the sponsor of this podcast. Andy was previously chairman and CEO of Logarithm, where under his leadership, Logarithm grew to become a leading global cybersecurity software company with an award-winning SIM platform and respected company culture. They had, uh, at the time of their acquisition, over $200 million in sales. And as mentioned, Andy led the company through a successful acquisition and exit. Going further back, many of our listeners probably remember the zip drives. That was Andy, too. He played a key role in building and leading the zip drive division of iOmega from its inception to a $1 billion entity as its VP and general manager. So that's just a few highlights from Andy's career. Mm -hmm. And speaking for Joe, Abe, and myself, we're honored to have you join us, Andy. And thank you very much for supporting us and helping us to make this podcast possible. Great. Happy to be awesome. here. Great. Welcome, Andy. I get the nerve-wracking privilege <laughs> of asking the former and current CEO of two different sim companies our first question. I was going to say something like meaningful about how I've tracked Andy through his career and some things like that, uh, but I'm not going to. I kiss your butt enough outside of this podcast. We'll, we won't do it here. <laughs> and we're just going to dive in. We're just going to dive in. So every episode, and I prepped you for this last week in our one-on-one, we ask a question to to everyone, which is, why does Sim suck? And you've been doing Sim for 10, 10 plus years. Why yeah. does it still suck <laughs> to this day? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've been involved with Sim directly for... Almost 20 years, 18 years. So I've, I've been, been part of the the, the early days, uh, fairly early days in the evolution of it. And so I, you know, can't, obviously I wouldn't be doing that long if I didn't, if I didn't see value, right? But it's a fair question. I think that the answer I would give at a high level is missed opportunity and missed potential from a customer perspective. I wouldn't be involved in SIM for so long if I didn't believe in its value. And, and it has done right and used in the right way 
it, it has a ton of potential for value. And I've seen many customers get that over the years, but it, it takes, and, and I think one of the, one of the challenges is, and I think both vendors and customers have a role in this is a gap in expectations and a gap in understanding of what's required on both sides to get to value. Right. And so there's, I've always said that SIM is a complex piece of enterprise software and it, it's some vendors do a better job than others on ease of use and ease of onboarding and so on and so forth, but it's never going to be an iPhone, right? This is enterprise software. You don't just click a button and everything happens, right? And that it's just not, it's not ever going to get that simple. And so it requires expectations between both the customer and the vendor and, and the vendors have responsibility in helping one set those expectations, but to provide a structured onboarding approach where it ensures that the customers who aren't familiar with SAM or particularly those who, who haven't, haven't used it before or had experience with it, get walk before they run, kind of a crawl, walk, run approach because you can't, it's one of these things you can't just jump in and, and do it all. So having kind of set expectations the right way having a structured approach to learning and, and onboarding. And, and what, what it does require, and this is where part of the expectations is the customer needs to be ready to invest time and, and resources for that critical first part of the journey, the SIM journey. And if that is done right, so there's a responsibility on both sides. And if that's done right, you have an opportunity to get to a point where sim does not suck. And, and that's, that would be, that would be my answer. But what happens too often is there's good vision of where to go with it on the customer side. All the intentions are right on both sides. People get busy. If you don't invest that time and you get busy, you get just distracted on other things, it, it will suffer and you'll get to a point where time, time to value feels like it's a long time. And, and so that's, that's, that's an important kind of give and take that any, whatever vendor you're working with, elements of that are coming to play no matter what. I think missed I think opportunities. You hit, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. I, I think you hit on a common theme that we've heard across several of our guests being that there's a lot to sim outside of the product, right? There, this is a central point within the organization that needs to be an intersection of technology, people, process, investment, and, and risk understanding to, to really be properly implemented. And, and I like the concept that you bring out of the crawl, walk, run. It's something that sim vendors say a lot, but I don't think we often, I don't think customers are often educated on exactly what that means and how you actually crawl, walk, and run. But to, to switch topics a little bit here, uh, I appreciate you playing our game there. Tell us about your crawl, walk, run. Tell us oh. about your journey. <laughs> how, did, how did you go from, from a basketball-playing youth 
to uh, to a basketball playing CEO of <laughs> multiple successful cybersecurity companies. <laughs> yeah, it's a long journey at this point, but I guess I would start with probably my earliest entrepreneurial venture. Is uh, yeah, I think you can call it that, and 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 some of the lessons learned there. So. When I was in senior in college, actually, a buddy of mine, we were both computer science majors, and we came up, they had this independent study thing, and we thought, man, that would be like uh, the best thing for second semester senior year, because we don't have to go to classes, and, and we could, we just had to come up with a project and find time to develop it. So we, we, we had this idea of what if we could write a program that automatically optimizes the pairing of freshman roommates? So, you know, we're, we're still in college and you're thinking about your, you know, they give you a freshman roommate, right? What if you could optimize, think about it like match.com for freshman roommates. And this is, this is the personal computer had just uh, recently come out. And so it was kind of early days of computers and and, and, you know, when you went to college, most colleges randomly put you with someone and, and there's great life experience with that, right? You got to learn to live with someone maybe different than, than yourself. But we, we had this idea, could, could we do that? So we went to the, how the head of housing at the university and, and she was like, yeah, that'd be really, really interesting if you could do that. And we got it approved by the head of the department and, and he just said, off you go, come back. And basically had the whole semester. We didn't have to check in with him at all. Like at college students, we probably procrastinated too long. And we started working on it with probably a month ago. And the more we got into it, we realized it was a lot more complex and harder than we thought. And, and so we ended up spending the last the last few weeks of our senior year literally pulling all-nighters and we just were like well you know for two reasons one we there, there was just pride in and we wanted to get it done and we actually wanted them to use it but two there was well what if it doesn't work and we got this far and then we don't graduate <laughs> so so we had we had incentive we had a lot of incentive if you know it's, it's kind of like black or white right uh with computer programs it either you turn it on it works or it doesn't and and so we worked our tails off we got we actually got it done like two in the morning before a night meeting with the chairman and we show up and run it by him and actually we, we must have looked at it we looked like hell right i mean we hadn't slept for days and he was just a non he was kind of this, not a man of words, right? And so we started, we, we had the, the wide printout of all the code and showed proof that it worked and we got it working. He was, he just kind of looked up after we had maybe said three or four sentences. He took a look at us, op didn't say anything, opened his great book, found our names and wrote A behind, by, beside both of them. Did not, I mean, we hadn't even shown him the, the program. He just must look at us like, okay, you guys did the work, just out of here, go graduate. And, and we, but then we got the idea, hey, we went to the housing coordinator, first of all, and said, we got it working. Do you want to use it? And she said, well, we don't actually have computers yet in our in the housing organization. This is 1984, right? 
And I don't think she believed we would actually do it. And so we ended up going, well, man, she's not quite ready. She said, well, come back in a year. Maybe we'll be ready. And we had this idea of he, he would, he, we both graduated. He had a job with IBM. I, I went to work for TI initially and we met on the weekends. We had this notion to start a startup and, and sell this to housing coordinators. And we, this is back in the day where, you know, you, you, so we looked up, studied the market universities of a certain size and so on and so forth and did a direct mail campaign. And we thought everyone would love this. So we ended up getting one response. <laughs> I remember it vividly, it was SUNY Stony Brook. And so we found a day we could take it off and we're doing our full-time jobs and we we're trying to make, trying to do this on the side. And we ended up meeting with the guy, like there was one guy who saw that we drove out to SUNY Stony Brook and, and we had no sales experience or any of that <laughs> trying to convince him. He didn't quite bite, but he didn't say yes, didn't say no, back in touch. And, and we just, given the response and all that, we just, we just, just fizzled out and we didn't finish it. And about 25 years later, I'm reading the Wall Street Journal one day and there's an article about the latest thing in college roommate is computerized roommate pairing. And, and, and that was, that was a big thing. And all the, all the colleges were adopted. So, but, so back to your question, long-winded way of <laughs> the first less lessons I, I learned out of that is you can be, you can be too early, but you can be way too early <laughs> where the market's just not there. They don't have computers, you know, and, and the second lesson was you can't do things half-ass, right? We were kind of trying to, we just, we went at it like, hey, if we get everyone responds and is into it, then we'll quit our jobs and really go after it and do it full-time. But we didn't have, I don't think we had the guts to do it then. And, mm. and, and could we have made it work even though we were early? Would we have ended up? Pivoting to be an actual dating, a dating app, <laughs> maybe, but we didn't do it, right? We didn't right. jump on board. So that was, that's a start. Pause there. I can keep going, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's great. Um, wow. That, that's fascinating. I, I also had a senior project that I also waited until 2 a.m. the night before to start. It did not go that well. <laughs> it was not that successful it didn't even get to yeah it didn't even get to the a let alone the direct mailers you went from college and you had a couple of stops at a couple of tech companies i think the place that most people started to pick up your name from is iomega and the zip drive and then obviously logarithm pushed you into the security space but what did that journey look like personally as you and the growth that you did at every stop al along the way there and what what kept you in the trajectory and direction that you were that you were heading there yeah i think uh prior to i omega i worked in product management and product marketing and what i i always I'd say before, before I got out of grad school, I actually wasn't sure 
what I was going to do. I was actually thinking about, there were two paths and one was stay in tech and f- figure out what's the, the right role there. And the other was to be going to real estate. I had an interest in, in real estate and took a lot of real estate courses and ended up going, my God, I, I got a, a job with Hewlett Packard in product management. And, and it ended up being, being the right role. What I, what I loved about it and it, it was, it was actually ultimately great training for being, uh, I think, a modern day CEO is you, you could, see, you're involved in so many aspects of the business. You've got in the variety of what you're working on in a given day was, was always really interesting, right? I, one, one, one minute you're working with engineers on what the products should look like. And another you're working with finance on pricing and business model and then with marketing on positioning and messaging. And so I just, I, once I got into it, I enjoyed that. And you, you, it was a, you were able to have a lot of responsibility to kind of stitch everything together and in, into, into a business. The, the one adage about product management always was all the responsibility, none of the authority. And, and that it's always been true, right? You had to get yeah. things done through influence and you had to collaborate and you had to work. You couldn't just say, Hey, I want to do it this way. It, you, you needed to assimilate a lot of different inputs into a cohesive plan and strategy. And that made sense. And, and you, you're, you're not in a silo and she so had to work across the team. And I think it's very similar to being a CEO in, in these days where you, yeah, the difference is you have the authority, but it doesn't mean the reality is most of the time you're, you need to get things done through influence and whether or not you have the authority to be effective. And, and so, so that was kind of my, my early career path was product management. It, it also allowed me to focus on the customer. And at I Omega, we, I was fortunate to have a couple of great mentors. The, the new CEO who had, had joined, it was a turnaround situation. So I, Joe, you asked about the personal side of things. I was at HP at Hewlett Packard at the time, big, safe, successful company. And, and a couple of friends I'd worked with there were at IOMEGA and they, they had a role in product management to help figure out what the next set of products was going to be. What they didn't tell me is sales were actually declining and, and that by first day there would be a layoff. So I'd be walking in and, and a third of the company was getting laid off. And so that was a bit of a shock. And, and then they also didn't tell me that by the way, product management and marketing and, and engineering and marketing don't talk to each other. They just are not, they're not getting along. And your job is to help fix them. It was actually a brilliant decision to have me sit the engineering team. So I was living and working with them. I had to summon a lot of more people-oriented skills to, to work through that and try to build their trust and, and so that we were collectively a team. The other part of it is the CEO was he had a really strong sales and marketing background, great customer vision. We formed a, a team to do a lot of customer research, both primary and secondary research. And part of his thinking was whatever we come up with, if we can 
point to real data. It's a way to get the engineers on board and, and behind it, right? And and it's science, not someone's opinion. It's here's here's real real data, quantitative and qualitative that is behind this. And sure enough, we did that work and we had a strategic aha, which was there was actually two segments and both IMA and, and our, our competitor were were we're looking at the market uh, unilaterally just as one one composite segment and there really was more of a power user and a consumer segment which ultimately led to the zip drive and the jazz drive definitions i was given responsibility to be the gm on, on the zip drive a, friend, a colleague of mine was would did the jazz drive and what was what really fun about it is product management can be different levels and defined differently in different companies. But the CEO, Kim Edwards, had come out of GE and worked for Jack Watt. And their definition is you own the P&L, um, all aspects of the business, and you're, it's truly like a mini GM type thing. And so, yeah, at one level, it is a bit uh, scary to have that responsibility. But on the other hand, it was fun, right? And I, I leaned mm -hmm. into it. And it, it certainly stretched me a lot, but I, I learned a ton. And in four years, we went from, well, zero to a billion in about two years after, after we launched. Wow. So it was wow. a kind of a rocket ship and a lot of, uh, a lot of things to learn and grow through that process. Mm -hmm. do, do you feel like it's fair to summarize your career as being a a serial translator where you have sit in the middle of these warring factions within an organization and you and you help them understand each other and come together as one unit i think yeah i i think that certainly describes part of it and there is there is a a bit of a recurrence of that in, in different times. I think that, and I know on the other hand, every situation is not described as warring factions, but- uh, Oh, true, fair. That's just how they describe us, Joe. That's a- <laughs> They gave well, us a podcast to keep us quiet. <laughs> yeah, so getting Joe and Abe to get along. No, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess there are degrees, it's never, Right. It's, it's rarely a full-scale war, right? Um, of course. But I think a key to success in any business is figuring out the, there's the people side of it and, and the collaboration side of it and ensuring or helping facilitate teamwork and collaboration and getting everyone on the same page, going in the same direction, but also listening to each other and Right. And also helping acknowledge everyone's value and opinion in a, in an authentic way, right? If you do that uh, non-authentically, people will see right through that. So, so yeah, that's, that's certainly part of, and that, I think that's with any team, whether in sports, that Abe was talking earlier about Damian Lillard, his favorite baseball player, <laughs> he's going to a new team right now and just because you got superstars on that team, we've all seen it, doesn't mean it, it always ends in success. And so that 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 happens everywhere. Yeah. 
you you just segued us beautifully too into the next part of the show, which is diving a little deeper into some of the expertise you've looked at. But as we get into that, though, the oh, from what you said, I've got so much to say, and now I'm the one who has to lead us to the next topic. But from your background story, there you were talking about. You said you weren't too sure what to do at a college, and then you proceeded to rattle off product management, real estate, CEO. You started off <laughs> as an engineer. And actually, if I look at your public LinkedIn, I can LinkedIn. I can also add marketing, sales, general management. <laughs> so my burning question is: Did you ever figure out what you wanted to do after college? Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? I I have this theory: like most people in college or getting out of college, um, the eighty twenty rule applies. Eight percent really don't know exactly what they want to do. They, they try things. It may meander. And there's twenty percent that often for good reasons. They have clarity on that, right? They want to be uh, a doctor and they're certain about it. And I, I actually started pre-med and just because I had doctors in my family for no other reason. It wasn't because that was the right. And I started looking at like 12 years of schooling and I was like, well, what else is there out there? And I was pretty good at math. And a friend of mine said, this Computer engineering thing is going to be big. Why not try that? And I did. I liked it. I was in that 80% where I meandered, was in sales early on, then product management, and ended up, I'd say it got to a place where I, I did have a, a thought that one day, I, I think at that point, I was interested in early on in, in marketing. Yeah, marketing a lot of times included product management and product marketing. And so that, that was kind of the path. And, and so I, I don't think I stood there and said, Hey, one day I want to be a CEO that, that had la that long-term vision. But I could say I, there, there was a point I do remember vividly back in early on in my career, watching the news. It was just one of those periods where there was so much uh, corruption, right? There were so many, uh, and leaders going to jail or can't remember all the things. I was like, I was like, maybe one day I could be in that position. Why are there so many corrupt, uh, dishonest folks out there in those roles? So that was a, a thought, at least at that time was it would be, it'd be good to be in a role and at least be an example where it shouldn't be that hard to be honest and have integrity and all that. Right. What it seemed so many of the leaders. And some of it was obviously the, they're highlighted in the news. In reality, that wasn't the case. There was a lot of CEOs and leaders out there that are high integrity folks and, and doing a great job. And they're just not in the news. They're, they're not. But anyway, that was, I did, I would say it, it, it wasn't like a defined plan, Abe. It wasn't to say, Hey, I came out of the nursery and decided I wanted to be a CEO. I ended up this place and it was the best fit for me, but it it was circuitous in some ways. Yeah. I think the diversity that you've mentioned and the part where you said don't half-ass it, which I think is just as important. A diversity, like bouncing around is one thing, but then bouncing around and running at it and running at it whole, like wholeheartedly creates the type of person that you are. And I think when you add that to some of the things that you are a little more well-known for, such as creating company culture. You've got a wake of that in your background and creating some of the, the connections that you've made over the years. How do you think you're going to leverage some of that skill set going forward? How, how, what, what does that look like in, in, a, in an industry and in a space where it is a little bit maturing? And before you even answer that, 
I can't get the image out of my head as soon as you said Sim is not the next iPhone. And I pictured like my teenage kids huddling around at the school and you know, like, did you hear Tony's mom just bought him an arc site? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Jenny's got a data dog. <laughs> anyway, so I can't, I can't get that out of my head. But anyway, so how do you see some of this and using the superpowers that you've built over the years and leveraging that to, to take us into the next few years? Oh, look, I think one of the things I learned, you call them superpowers. I think they're just fundamentals and, and it's not necessarily an exciting answer, but it's like any job, the more you do it, the more refined you get it. But one of the formulas for success is just to, to focus on the, the fundamentals in business and product innovation. A lot of it's fairly simple. It's just a, a lot of a lot of companies or organizations may, may stray. Making sure you're developing products that have a foundation in customer value and that, and I've always called it customer-driven product development. And that was one of, one of the lessons that really hit home at iOmega back there. And, and we practiced at, at Logarithm as well. And we're doing today Graylog is continuing to ask the question, where, what's the value in, in, in this? And, and one of our values is useful innovation. A lot of companies, that's a key adjective, right? <laughs> a lot of companies will, will say innovation, right? But useful innovation makes you ask the question, okay, that's great, but is, is this useful, right? And so that kind of drives in, in dark culture. I, I think customer success, and certainly I've probably over the last 10 years of my career, seeing increasingly the value of that. And Joe, you said it earlier, right? You can have a great product, but there's this whole product concept, which is, includes documentation and training and onboarding and support. And with any, any technology product, those can be equally as important as the product, ultimately success for the customer and then having high retention and, and all that, right? But those are really important fundamentals. Again, people side of it, making sure that you've got the right people in the right roles that, and folks are yeah. good match of skill set and what the company needs and what they want. And, and that there are folks that are good for aligning with the culture and the values. And, and so those are just more of the fundamentals that right. And then one, one of the other uh, lessons I've learned over the years is things are never as good as they seem and they're never as bad as they seem. And it's another way of staying, staying level and ground, not overreacting when things, things are, things are tough and yeah. there's maybe big challenges you're going through as a business. And, and so part of my role and everyone's role is to not lose faith and focus on, again, if you're doing the right fundamentals and doing the right things. You'll probably bounce out of that tough time and seen that happen so many times. And the reverse also, when things are seemingly going great, it probably means you don't want to get, you don't want to rest on your laurels and there are things, there actually are things you need to work on, but they're just not as obvious. And so keeping that perspective through the ups and downs is I think important. That's really awesome. I, I hate to oversimplify this, but you just, you, you absolutely just said that 39 years later, you are putting the right people in the right place and delivering as intended. And so it's a highly evolved version of a dorm room 
doormate matching software <laughs> at this point, four decades later. So to answer the question, no, I don't think you did figure out what you want to do after college. <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, the program was just a very, uh, it was a sort algorithm and we just had, it was a fairly basic sort algorithm. And, and so you had the, it was a prioritized sort. Smoking, non-smoking was number one. You know, and mm, questions fair. like and and still today, number one, yeah, exactly. Not smoking on the same team. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I so I want to ask a question, and I've been thinking about this question for a couple yes. of days now because, believe it or not, your name is something that came up often in my college classes <laughs> as examples of people in the tech industry that were very masterful at handling the business side of technology and now sitting front row and seeing how you've handled investment strategies and the exit from Logarithm and then now two rounds of funding at Greylog. Walk me through how, how do you put the business in your mind? What's the framework that you utilize to know well, how much funding do I need? How do I, what is the right way to invest into this organization monetarily, specifically monetarily? When's the right time to exit? How do I know what are the right levers between debt and those things? Not necessarily into the technical weeds of that, because <laughs> I understand yeah. that's a lot of formulas and things, but you know, what, what's the framework that you utilize to, to look at a business from that big picture of, hey, here's the next thing this business needs for the health of the organization. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. The Some of that was what has been through my career, I'd call it on-the-job training, right? It, it's not, you learn a lot of the business fundamentals in, in school, which right. certainly help. It gives you a foundation, but things like fundraising as part of the job and business planning and things like that, several things you, you learn by having the opportunity to maybe not lead it, but be part of it at different points in the career. And so the mystery of it, actually, it, it's not as mysterious and maybe seemingly complex as it might seem if you haven't done it or been exposed to it. And so I, I was fortunate to have mentors or folks involve me in that or just being able to observe what was done and, and when I wasn't in the role leading leading those kind of things. And that goes from Joe, you talked about some of the financial parts of it and come back to, but there's a lot just business planning and there's not one specific way to do that. There's not one, one formula, but I think back to fundamentals, it, it, it comes down to on a yearly basis, having a planning process that includes both product and the business side of it. Right. And not that you always wait a year to do this, but at least mm -hmm. at a minimum in a yearly basis, really look at three-year horizon. And, and so you're looking at a one-year and a three-year horizon, right? So going through that process, I think is important for any business, regardless of their scale, right? And obviously the big, really big companies have probably much more complex, much more defined processes and in a startup you you don't want to over process and that's one of the things i've learned in, in scale scaling companies is is the right process at the right time right 
because uh, mm-hmm. you can actually stifle the creativity and the innovation of a startup that actually enables it to compete against large companies. That's the superpower of a, a startup. It's harnessed the right way. So that's part of it. But in terms of drilling down to what you were asking, Joe, an example of, say, Greylog, right, in the early days of joining is really, again, coming up with that three-year vision, but going, where are the areas we need to invest uh, to optimize our success? And you, in any company, no matter how big or small, you have limited resources, right? And so and just because you have lots of money also doesn't, let's say you raise a ton of funding there, it's usually hard to really truly make use of that. So what I try to did here is looked at what are the areas, the key areas we need to invest in and what can we realistically get done? Because you, just because you could go hire a thousand people if you could afford them doesn't mean it would be mm-hmm. effective. And so there's a germination, I think, pace which any organization beyond which is too much and you end up wasting a lot of capital. So really just figure what are those priority investment areas for the next year or two? Just raise the capital you need to actually accomplish those. And, and then there's a strategy story around that. It's just pretty, pretty fundamental, but also just not getting ahead of your seat tips. Right. And, and also not feeling the pressure. There, there's a saying in sports, play your own game. Right? You can be looking and saying, okay, I want to be like them. Uh, but that may not be realistic uh, or realistic in, a, in any short time frame. So I think it's just important to be the best. We all talk about that on a personal level, but be the best version of yourself as a business. It's important to look at it the same way, I think. How can we be play our own game and be the best that we can? I, yeah, that, that answered my question perfectly. It was exactly the answer I was hoping to get. And the best part was it takes us full circle, right? Like you look at the company the same way you look at doing SIM right, which is there's a lot more to it than just the, (laughs) than just Hmm. the product. (laughs) And and it's a myriad of, it's a myriad of, of variables that has, that have to come together in the right way at the right time to really be successful with it. Abe, do you want to ask Andy our final question of our segment the final question of our segment if you had i was i had to think about that for a second if you had <laughs> any advice to the other players in the cybersecurity space especially given where you come from now as you are have very actively been two juggernauts in this space <laughs> what are your advice to the other cybersecurity players be it vendors or otherwise for the going into the future what's your advice yeah, I mean, I would, I would, say some of the points I did, I just made in terms of the business side of things are, are certainly apropos for any security vendor. But I go back to useful, use, useful innovation, making sure the customer is always in front of you, in in how you're thinking about things, uh, and uh, and I would say prioritizing prioritization is critical. 
in any startup. I assume you're thinking more, you're asking more from a startup or emerging company perspective, right? For, I actually intentionally left it wide open. Wide Others, open. we've really, really <laughs> wandered them down. I was curious where you're going to go with this. So I, I gave you no details. But yeah, sure. For startups coming up in this space, that's, yeah, let's give them the advice. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a great way of doing it. Yeah, I think uh, I think the the customer innovation, customer driven innovation, making sure that's front and center, and then being being balanced on 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 the business side and the and the product side, making sure you're putting the right go to market approach that fits with the product you're building and the customers you're targeting. That the last piece, I think focus and often startups, and I've been guilty of this at different times, is your eyes get bigger than your stomach. And from, we've all heard that saying, and maybe trying to go after more than you really should. And, and honing that focus early on where it's narrow enough where you can be successful it doesn't mean you can't expand or go beyond that later on, but where can you be su successful from an ICP or initial ideal customer profile, right? Where spending a lot of time thinking about that and, and zeroing in on that helps refine your investment, both on the product and, and the go-to-market side. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. And I hope anyone listening that is involved in a cybersecurity startup kind of rewinds the tape to put a date on this and a couple of times and understands the brevity and the experience behind the words that, that Anzi just said. So that's that, that's an awful lot. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for, for the guests so far on, on the show, Andy. And for the closeout now, I'm going to kick it back over to Randy. And Randy's got something for you. Something fun. Oops. Yeah. Now for the everyone's favorite segment of Beyond the Bite, the lightning round. This is the segment that all my fellow youths are blogging about on the MySpace. I hope you enjoy it. You I'll be putting your fellow youths. Yeah, my fellow youths. What's up, my cousin Goody? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let me get my timer ready here. I'm putting 90 seconds on the clock. Please answer each question as quickly and concisely as possible because we n will not be keeping score and cash prizes will not be awarded. Andy, are you ready? Uh, probably not, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who? Doctor Who. Good call. And this one's special just for you. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Stephen Sondheim or Rogers and Hammerstein? Uh, Sondheim. That's a tough one. Good but call. Sondheim, yeah. <laughs> Good call. Name a common password people should never use. Password. If you could work anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Colorado. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Manhattan, Martini, or Margarita? Captain Martini or Margarita? Margarita. Name a person who inspires you. Oh, wow. Business-wise, there's a lot, right? Uh, Business-wise, I would, I would say Clayton Christensen. 
I've always been a fan of him and his his books around innovation and his several of those. So so that's that's one. You know, on uh, uh, other fields, wow. I mean, I, I looked at Nikola Jokic. Uh, you know, just how his his kind of humility and how he approaches his uh, his work, but he's just his talent is through the roof. Awesome. And that's time. That question, like always, it shouldn't be lightning round because it always takes time, but I, I love the responses we get from it. Yeah. So I'm leaving it in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great but question, awesome. but just not very lightning. It, it is not uh, lightning at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yeah. Th- thank you so much, Andy, for being on our, on our podcast, our, our, we'll call it our skunk works project between Abraham and I. Um, thank you for validating it and giving it legitimacy within the organization. I appreciate yeah. that. Yep. Uh, if if listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to, to reach out? Yeah, probably the, the easiest, simplest is in LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, that just be reach, reach out to me there. And, and otherwise, yeah, that's, that's my final awesome. answer. <laughs> if you want, awesome and it, and for those of you that don't know his linkedin is linkedin.com slash in slash andy groldick all one word and if you can spell that on the first go he'll yeah. definitely respond to your dm yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and if you are looking to get in contact with Greylog, the sponsors of this podcast we are on facebook twitter linkedin github youtube and reddit and I will give you all of those links. Facebook is slash Greylog. Twitter, Greylog2. LinkedIn, Greylog. And then YouTube is Greylog Videos. And Reddit is r slash Greylog. That's us. That's Greylog. That, and then I am, what am I? I am LinkedIn slash Joe Gross, Joe dash Gross dash SE. I don't know what Abe is. He can tell you if he wants to. <laughs> uh, I am Joe Gross slash. We are still working on, on nearly every on, platform. There you go. We are still working on how we do our socials at the end, and we will have yeah. Beyond the Bite socials for next episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you all. Thanks. <laughs>